When I find myself into the best bit of us always has been and always will be is when we're backs against the wall. Ringo said that he thought we ought to just tell it like it is. I think we are. The Beatles get back. Streaming November 25th only on Disney Plus. I'm Richard Buskin. I'm Eric Taros. The Beatles. Naked. Phenomenal. Absolutely. You know, for people who are like us, you know, complete Beatle people, what we've just seen today is astonishing. It's almost hallucinatory. I, I'm looking at this thing. It starts, it's interesting. They lull us in at the beginning with this montage, which, curiously enough, is very boxed. You know, it's, it's kind of made very small in the field of view and then suddenly it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then blah it's filling the whole yeah. screen i thought that was clever because um you know for my my whole worry about this project when i've watched it uh being reported upon and it's going from you know a hundred minutes to six hours to eight hours and i am thinking i i i, I want to see every second of it but can the public deal with this i agree um i was watching it and loving it and thinking at some point like maybe an hour and a half in mm, i think it's going to lose a lot of people you know and i'm not worried about that because we would be really complaining if all we got was 100 minutes oh god the danger in this project and i found it interesting that there was three nights um starting around hanukkah too kind of interesting stuff three crazy <laughs> nights I think what's interesting to me that it's Twickenham one night, uh, Savile Row the next night, and then The Roof. And that in each case, it's like we're watching the 40th episode of The Honeymooners. Because <laughs> I don't know if you remember, in The Honeymooners, they were always in the Cramden's apartments, like the one set, the one room. Yeah. And for people like us, we don't care. I mean, we, we want to know everything. I just wonder if that, as the thing went along and every once in a while they'd break it up with just something, oh, a little bit of How I Won the War remastered or, yeah. or whatever, that, that that was a clever device. And I kind of thought that that was going to be the case anyway, because why did they involve me at all on any level looking for stuff, hmm. for footage back in February when I took the first phone call on this thing and thinking, wow, they need me for something. They, they, they you know, as it turns out, they used about 15 seconds. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe that's why I don't get thanked. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's wrong. I just found it hypnotic. Once you get into the the rescanned film, and and it alleviated my fears. By the way, I didn't find the smoothing to be distracting to me. No, me neither. So I was very happy with it, and it did help in some places. As we get further into the show, there are some shots that you can tell that they had to zoom the damn thing up so much mm. that it, it it is you know lightly blurred. Well, I thought you know the picture looked phenomenal to me. It just looked beautiful. The smoothing works. The problems I had in terms of content were where they repeated certain shots. You know, there are a couple of times that stood out for me, both featuring George. One where he's just sitting there and kind of leaning forward, not saying anything. So it's not as if, oh, that fit perfectly, you know, to just sync it up with the sound. Uh, And then there's one that's a real standout. It's George at the drums, and he does this really pretty impressive drum fill and we see it twice and I just don't understand with 56 odd hours why you know you have to just repeat shots like that I think a couple of things are played number one you have 56 hours but not 56 hours in the one location Um, I think so Uh, that's part of the problem the other thing I noticed as I was watching this I'm seeing places where voices are not matching up with mouths. I'm, it's a technique I've used as well when you kind of, you know, people are only make so many facial movements. I mean, yeah, that we saw that in Let It Be, of course, but way less than here, actually. Here they've, you know, done it repeatedly. It's just throughout the film. I would be willing to bet that this was done almost like an animation. And what I mean by that is the soundtrack, the bed of the sound, the story is laid out from the Nagra reels, of which they have 150 hours, and then they've only got 50 or 60 hours of film to match up with that. So that is a recipe for problems right then and there. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with it. Because of that, I'm actually okay with it. You know, I, I don't think that's a flaw of the film. No, he does it beautifully. I mean, it, it actually, there's a few places you kind of, wow, you know. I mean, I'm sure the temptation was there with the technology to goof with, you know, you can map, you know, like clutch cargo. You can map a face on there. And I, he resisted that. And I think that was a really good decision because then people would start saying, okay, this is too much. I'd rather see something a little out of sync because you're listening to the story and you're looking at these beautiful visuals. So it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't matter that much. I mean, there were certain markers for me um, you know, like moments of extra special wonder. And I must say at the outset, Twickenham quickly became claustrophobic for me. As big a cavernous space as it is, I start really getting uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now, after having watched the first episodes, I can't wait to get them into Savile Row. And, and, but the interesting things in there, did you notice when, they go, when they're searching for songs and they go back to the songbook that they had as kids, and we get to hear snippets of, because I know you love me so, and yeah. won't you please say goodbye? It's like, yes. what the hell is that? I know. It was just absolutely astonishing. That, it, that and, and I even wrote a note down that an unreleased Ringo song, yes. you know, going to Carolina, I'm thinking, could this be the long lost moment of, I should like to live up a tree, which I'm still hoping <laughs> will show up in one of the reels, you know? But, uh, and, you know, when you make those eyes at me, yeah. What the hell? No. So, you tell me, Richard. I thought that songbook was lost. So did I. That's why I was sitting there, and it was like, wow. You know, I had no clue about this. And they were showing blindsided me. They were showing pictures of it, right? Yeah. So it, and then they had the you know the thing of you know Mike's favorite yes. pic, famous yes. picture of in in the house with them right. writing. So that to me opens up a gigantic can of worms. Oh yeah, there are several the... moments like that in yes. this documentary. It's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, the things that I really loved was how he's contextualized everything. You know, now we get the full picture. It, the film starts with a kind of really brief rundown, but detailed rundown in a way of their careers. Yeah, right? beautiful. You know, yeah, it sort of puts that together to get us all the way up to get back. And that is really the nature of this documentary. He's really righted the wrong of Let It Be. You know, he's made this into a real story. I love the use of the calendar. It's a simple graphic, but it works perfectly. 
because now we really feel the tension and how misguided the project was in its conception having you know Ringo basically is setting the deadline you know his involvement in the magic christian means they've just got this well a couple of weeks to come up with 14 songs and this ain't a hard day's night anymore i i think that's hit me like a shovel the disorganization this is the biggest band the most important band in the world and i think everyone pretty much by that point had accepted that i don't think there was a whole lot of debate for it to have been so disorganized uh all of this there should have been all kinds of production meetings it seems like there's this little bit of i don't know frugality would be the word that sometimes the things that crop up sometimes you know that george usually is the one saying something about the money it oh, always yeah. seemed to be the <laughs> we're still paying for a magical mystery tour film or whatever the hell yeah. he said towards he does, the end, yeah. which was very funny. But there is that little bit of tight waddedness, which is always kind of it's it's the most Elvis thing in the Beatles' career. You know, Elvis yeah. there was always tight wadded. You know what I mean for yeah. most of his projects, and and you see that a little bit in there. I, I thought there were so many subtle messages. In the in that that uh, Peter Jackson has slipped in here uh, so expertly. One of the I agree, it's very nuanced. That's the things you know. We're going to get to you know the George walkout, but it was way more subtle for me, you know, than I expected. So there is a lot of nuance. You have to, I, it does require repeat viewings, without a doubt. A lot of repeat viewings. There's a ton in there. Gotta ask you a question. Something really epic happened at 37 minutes, and my heart sank. Thankfully, they've mixed it so beautifully that it doesn't uh, it doesn't really affect things. But do you remember what happens at 37 minutes? No. Remind me. They wheel in a Leslie speaker. Oh, yes. That's right. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, no. There's the moment. Don't do it. If I could travel back in time, I'd be, no, it's, no, it's coming with me. I mean, it just, I was like, oh, that to me, once again, only a guy with the level of interest of Peter Jackson that to me is a very funny moment yeah. i i you know because of the way it's rolling towards it's like oh no <laughs> it's just, here it comes <laughs> here it comes and there was another huge surprise right around that time uh, everybody look out for something that apparently paul mccartney had no memory of which is Paul and John working on Gimme Some Truth. Yeah. Meaningfully. Yes. I mean, you know, trying to work out words yeah. and you know, not just running through it. That's one of the John originals that he brings to the project, right? There's also a Child of Nature, and that's kind of it, isn't it? You know, then we he starts drying up. At the very beginning, it's like, okay, John's bringing some songs in here. And then George brings in a few, and Paul really... It's just overwhelming. And I, I know John would speak of it resentfully later on. It was like, you know, Paul wanted to do this. He decided it was time to do another film. And, oh, of course, he can come up with all these songs and I'm screwed. Well, I don't know. You know, you've got a group. You want to keep this thing moving. That's Paul. He's the, But that becomes very clear. Is I don't find him that overbearing in the footage, to be honest with you. You know, I, th I think actually the way it's cut, he comes out of it pretty good. But, yeah, you can see how it becomes intimidating for, for George getting kind of squeezed out. There's a great... See, as I say, by the time we get past the... There's, there's a very subtle thing right at the beginning that I think also was dropped in by Peter, which tells a story. To me, it still tells a story where George is looking... When they first get together on day one of rehearsal, gets together with Paul and goes, Oh, nice beard. And and it, it's so, I mean, you know, it takes a while to grow a beard like that. George yeah. is surprised to see it. So I'm like, well, these guys haven't seen each other since October. Since yeah, mid October. Since, since they were working on, which Paul called the Beatles. You yes, notice he did, he, he did not call that, it the, not white, the album. white album yet. Nope. It's not the White Album yet. So there's so much richness in Beatles lore. Just watching, I mean, on the positive side, I would say watching the birth of songs like Get Back, like that was, I was transfixed. Absolutely fantastic. We see him just strumming the Hofner bass, right? Yeah. And he's strumming it like a guitar, you know, and getting this rhythm and just starts vamping the words. Yeah, just making something up yeah. out of nothing. And, and, and we just watch it start to blossom we have that a few times but yeah get back was particularly impressive 
I think because there was enthusiasm, like it was one of the times you saw some enthusiasm from from um, George. Yeah. George to me is silently the star of this episode, almost by his yeah, just the vibe that's coming out of him. And <clears throat> spookily enough, you know, the two mysterious Hari Krishna off in the corner. Oh, that's hilarious. I love it. You know, that we just get a <laughs> shot of a Hari Krishna guy just sitting there in what, again, looks like this warehouse, right? Just sitting cross-legged on the floor. And then the next time we see him, he's joined by another Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've multiplied. <laughs> but it's 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 so evident to me right from the get-go that this is a very uncomfortable space. A terrible choice. Well, they're talking about it, right? They're actually discussing it day one, day two. You know, is this the right choice? Should we be here? Um, and it's Michael Lindsay Hogg kind of talking them into it, isn't it? I think he's just trying to talk as he, he's absolutely the other sort of the B star of this. Mm. His His being in there and having to kind of rally the troops and try to organize this. But what he's a... not really an auteur, is he? I mean, he's... You know... He doesn't have the gravitas, no. as they say. No, not at all. But but I, I just, by the time, the real pivotal moment, I think, the, the tension is so heavy for me by 50 minutes in. Mm. And it's just George. I can just feel him seething. You see, you're feeling that, and that's fair enough, and maybe everyone else will. I wasn't. I Maybe I was expecting more tension. So... For me, it was like, wow, you know, this wasn't bad. It, to me, they were into it on, wh- when is it that John looks like he's out of it a bit? Um, it's on the 7th. Yeah, John appears largely non-communicative, really. You know, he says a few words, and then, which is quite clever, he has, the way he's edited it, the camera keeps going back to him just with this kind of wan smile on his face, which is, to, I think, to convey that he's out of it i think it's a very subtle way to to address certain things that are uh need to be addressed i know that some rumblings thought that this whole project might be a bit of a whitewash of history but i all thoughts of that any fear of that flew out the window later in when we see the the whole enoch powell no pakistanis right but see it in context but no i think the big the big moment for me is right around 51 54 minutes when paul cuts through this he makes this epic statement he goes uh, i'm kind of scared of being the boss oh yeah that and, stood out and he said because because nobody's doing it because they didn't have mr Ep- and interesting they didn't call him brian mr all, epstein mr. epstein or epstein. epstein yeah um i noticed that but you know i empathize with paul there he doesn't come over as that overbearing to me it's more that thing that you know he's just producing songs like you know pulling them out of a hat and the others don't like it but he's just doing you know what you'd expect to try and drive this band forward and there is that sort of thing you know i thought george seemed more into it than john at times actually early on early on yeah but it's like by about the second or third day when they start having to do the oldies and they really do absolutely nothing that day of really any worth you know anything that's going to contribute to this and that's when you begin to feel that tension of my god time is running out and they've got to come up with all of this material and get it right and they just don't have that inspiration pulls into it you hear him as the arranger you know telling Ringo what he wants from the drums George what he wants from the guitar but I don't know I I don't know that's such a bad thing what What's bad about it? Lisa, I'm watching all the body English. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching the hunching. I'm watching the, the looks on the faces. Paul looks a little scared. And sca- he even says, well, we're a little bit shy, or I'm feeling a bit shy. What he looks scared about to me is they don't sound good together. They sound terrible. They sound worse than your worst bar band, out of time, you know the, the, that frickin' Leslie, all that stuff yeah. that's that's contributing, and there's just apparently, and we've never seen. God, can you imagine if we had this in 1962 or something? You know, this amazing like watching this band kind of you know without being on, just being themselves. So there was a magic of gelling when they would just start jamming and playing. That's no longer there. Look. They did Magical Mystery Tour pretty much on the fly, right? You know, get in a bus and see where it takes you. 
And you can see the same approach here. It's too loosey-goosey. You know, they come in and right away they're discussing whether they should even be here. George, at one point, I don't know if you noticed, he says, are you going to be filming like the dialogue? You know, so there's no real concept of what this is. There just isn't. It's not solid enough. That's where Michael Lindsay Hogg, you know, had, I suppose, a real challenge. You can say, well, he should have taken control there, but that's difficult. That's not easy. That control happens way before they come into the studio. I agree. I absolutely agree. Now, as early as the 6th, 7th of January, um, you know, they're doing like, don't let me down, get back. There's talk of getting a divorce then. You know, it actually comes up. At 70 minutes, yeah. Um, and, then. you know, so listening to also, which was interesting, to the original of Across the Universe, they actually get the record, put it on the record player and listen to it so that they can then work on it as another song, you know, of John's because the well's run dry here. So then you're feeling that desperation start to creep in. And, you know, that need to make the deadline is really brought into sharp focus by Jackson in this documentary. And we just don't feel that it doesn't exist in Let It Be. I mean, like, if we cancel the show now, we'll be throwing it away. But equally, at the moment, we haven't got a show, and so none of us really want to do it. I'll do it. I'm not interested enough to spell it. In days farting around here. Well, everyone makes up their minds whether they want to do it or not. Yeah. It's like Mal said last night, if you're going to do the show here, you've got to decide today. And as far as I can say, there's only two ways. We're going to do it or we're not going to do it. And I want a decision. Maybe we should have a divorce. Well, I said that in the last meeting. But it's getting nearer, you know. Who'd have the children? Dick James. Oh, yeah. We all need you. And, you know, if, if you all can't get it together, that's really very sad. I thought it was incredibly interesting what Jackson plays right after that statement, which is a, a run-through of perhaps the worst choice to work on after saying divorce, Maxwell's Silverhammer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, and I thought that that was gallows humor. Yeah. I was like, God, yes. he's, he is smooth. Forget oh. about the... He just... There's so much subtlety in this film. Well, that, that's because they got absolutely the right guy. He's not just a really good filmmaker. He's one of us. I mean, he's a total Beatles geek. So he, you know, he knows this stuff, basically. And uh, he knows how to work it. Did you notice, I, I love the bits where they're reading the latest issue of Beatles Monthly, cover to cover, going through every page with sort of derisory comments, you know, they're, they're not into it anymore. No. But, but they're still checking it out. It must have been, yeah, the new one that just, I mean, you know, we've all got them, so like, it's kind of fun to read along. You know, that is that is one of those like little special moments. I, speaking of that, and, and another funny moment like that is when they're kind of going through, you know, they've got Dick Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky, really. <laughs> Dick Jaws signed them up for the rest of their lives. So uh, Dick Jaws is out there with the catalog of songs. There's still that thread of we don't have enough materials. And he's through. just bought a catalog for Northern songs with yeah, all yes. these old songs. In it. And there's the great moment where Paul is leafing through it and he goes, Carolina Moon, that's my uncle's favorite. And he starts doing, all right. He's like his drunk yeah, uncle. Slurring, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I just thought like, that's the stuff that amazes me. Like, yeah. The attention to detail, you, you know, we're sitting here watching this thing for a couple hours, and you have your notes, I got my notes, and I'm thinking, that's over a curated two-and-a-half-hour project. Can you imagine the mess, the yeah. 56 hours? you yeah. got to go, and then, okay, don't, we need this bit. And from what I've heard, he's been tweaking it up till this week. Last, well, uh, Larry spoke with him yeah. on Sunday, and, and me and my friend Larry Kane. And uh, he said, yeah, he said he's still I get it. monkey and I mean, something. I get that. You know? I, I hope what he really does is put my thank you on the third episode, <laughs> if you're listening. If he's still tweaking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, come on. It's a couple of names, right? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the, you know, again, contextualizing, wonderful that, you know, the play whatever you want me to play segment, we get all the lead up to that. And then what follows. And when you see it like that, it's just not such a big deal. Yes, it's part of the tensions that are growing. I get that. 
but they do just move on. It doesn't seem ugly. You know, it's, George's statement obviously is still, it, that's uncomfortable. It's building. Yeah, but that contextualising of events is absolutely massive. I love that we see George explaining how he composed I Me Mine last night after watching TV shows, which we then see on screen listed in the Radio Times, which is like TV Guide for the BBC. And, what, you know, we actually see some of the footage from one of the shows. And it's just fantastic to have it, you know, in the moment like that. It, it also helps to break up that that fear I had of, of you know, the honeymooners. You're in this one set, and it starts, because it's, to me, as I say, by the time we get that far, I am I'm so claustrophobic in the biggest space I've ever seen these guys perform in. Because of the tension, and and there's there's yeah, a... you you feel that more than me. I oh, must yeah. say, I'd have to watch it again. But that's what it's it is nuanced. He's a kettle boiling. I mean, it's so funny. The moment before the the we actually see, I'll see you. You know, he mm. leaves. Well, I'll be leaving the band now. Yeah. This right before that, I wrote myself a note. Uh, George seems very lost. And it lost in thought. That's on the 10th, right? And the reason for George quitting is subtle, as I said. You know, you have to keep your eye on it. it. Paul says his guitar is, you know, George's guitar is getting in the way of his vocal on Get Back. So keep it simple and then go for it at some point. And George responds, then they don't need him for that and get Eric Clapton which is absolutely amazing because it's George who makes the suggestion, not John. And George, then one of, you know, either John or Paul basically responds, no, you know, the Beatles need George Harrison. But as Neil later explains, they're diminishing his role again by telling him when and what he can play. Yeah, I, th- I think that was, uh, it's funny, Eric Clapton seemed to be the go-to guy, you know, when Patty, when yeah. Patty left, you know, it just, <laughs> just seems to be the guy that... Yeah. Well, you know, and then the years later, God, uh, thirty years ago this month, I, I saw George and, and Clapper was there with him. You know, it's just it's very interesting all that. But what I was going to say is that they, you know, the way he's edited it, at least John and Paul are routining two of us while George is saying nothing. You know, after that, right? That's when he quietens down after that, and he's just sitting there, and he does the shots that we see. He's kind of glaring. Or semi-glaring, yes. uh, and just playing along. Paul then admonishes them in a way that you know they need to work on the arrangement, and then they break for lunch. It's like, shall we break for lunch? And that's when George says he's leaving the band. Yeah, he's going to have his lunch somewhere else. What's interesting is so interesting is the manic energy. Uh, John even says, "Oh, I guess we're going to pretend like nothing happened," and uh, the the insanity of that section and you know, right after lunch where they're just screaming stuff and bashing on instruments and Ringo's doing his thing and Yoko's doing her thing yeah. and Paul's doing doing some feedback bass to Yoko screaming. It actually seemed pretty perfect. I think, it, you know, the primal scream fits really well. You know, what's going to happen now? I was a bit surprised that it was that short, the Yoko jam. I thought it'd go a bit longer. There's a lot of editing and yeah, it needs a lot of editing. I get that. A lot of, you know, jump cuts and stuff, but... I thought they could have stretched that out a bit more. We also didn't have Yoko wants a mic. Why was that not in there? It's so notorious. I think he's avoiding, like as much as possible, he is avoiding the notorious. He's surprising us, you know. Mm. We're also not going to get, let it be, let it be. For goodness sake, let it be. Thank God, because I can use that in something now. But, you know, it's a, (laughs) but I think it's, there's just so many weird like surprises you know not just you and i are are fixated right now on Mm. the emotion and the story and we're kind of forgetting all of the these weird musical surprises that i mean just yeah you know the the whole idea i think you had mentioned it earlier that carry that weight was originally a different song and and kind of mooted for ringo mooted for ringo and it's got verses that they're working on you know it's like wow you know amazed going back to the eighth another standout moment for me Paul says we've got a problem here and then he asks John if he's come up with any new material and he hasn't and you know that just for me really underscores how the project was so ill-conceived in several respects chief among them you know Ringo's looming film assignment you know just to sort of think you're going to just somehow do all of this 
do all of this, you know, come up with new songs, rehearse them, get them absolutely fantastic, as Michael Lindsay Hogg says, because this is for the world, he's saying, right? Let's crank up the pressure. Do all of that, you know, in time for Ringo to turn up on set. Yeah, and that's where I, I early in the film, I see that, you know, it's kind of like the uh, old softball player who hasn't played in a couple of seasons and gets out there, oh, I can still smack it around. And you kind of realize this is harder than you remember. And, and it's just not getting anywhere in the rehearsals. They're not grabbing on to anything. I actually thought we would have seen more oldies than we saw. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting. He stayed away yeah, from Yeah, he so stayed many... away from that stuff because it... it... Because it wasn't very good. Well, it wasn't, but it was. It was also, I think, it's what we're expecting. The, the yeah. nice thing is, 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 it's funny. Danny was interviewed after seeing the hundred minute version. He goes, "Oh, I'm like everybody else. I'm waiting for my dad to break the group up." You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's so you know there's certain events, but the the real art of of storytelling is is when you know the story. You know, this is like going to ancient Greek theater, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean. You have Michael Lindsay Hogg saying... I mean, the hearts of millions are with you, do you know what I mean? Well, it's got to be the best it can. That's how it goes every time we do anything. So it's always going to be the best. I'm not saying that you owe it to the world or anything like that, but if it is going to be your last TV show, you're only yeah, to be sure... Yeah, but you're only oh, surprising. Oh, yeah, Just because we no, got a bit grumpy. If, no, I am, but... We've been getting grumpy but, for the last 18 months. No, but I don't want you, I don't want you to be unhappy. I mean, because, yeah. like, I love you like I love your three colleagues. There's a gap in the narrative there because there's no suggestion of grumpiness you know coming up as a subject and so that's a gap another one is when Dennis O'Dell is um talking with Michael Lindsay Hogg and they refer to John and Paul not getting along so well and this project may be healing that but there's no signs of any friction between them in this edit to me I, I don't see that to address those two points the 18 months would align with Brian's death. Yeah, Mr. Epstein. Yeah, Mr. Ep yeah, who's who's no longer Brian. He's Mr. Epstein, which is yeah. really curious to me. And the other thing is, is if you look at kind of why John doesn't have songs, is because he's been running around with Yoko for a year doing all kinds of, you know, more things that interested him more, you know, uh, much quicker realized things. Or the whole thing with Yoko is you just turn on some microphones and some feedback and he found that compelling, at least at that time. Yeah. So he's been doing all of this stuff, you, you know, the two conceptual albums with Yoko. That's what he. That's where his energy is. That's where he's having fun. And this is now school, or or it's as he would say, and he always do the same voice. And Paul would call up and go, "Time to make another album." Yeah. And and uh, and there is another moment somewhere in there where they're talking about. It was a very subtle reference to something John had brought up, which is like, we, you know, we spend all this time polishing uh, Paul songs, but we kind of rush through mine, or that's where the experimentation yeah, happens. Yeah. And and Paul referenced it. Yeah. Somewhere he goes, oh, yeah, we kind of goof around a lot with your... There's, there's some little moment, folks. Look for it. It's in the first hour or hour, 20 minutes or so, where there is this reference to rushing through John's mm. material or, or experimenting with it. So it, it was just, um, yeah, it's just so much. I mean, we were talking before about surprises. It's also great to see footage actually synced up with the audio that we've heard for many years, you know, and find, you know, so there, there's that part where they're discussing where to perform. I think that, again, is on the 8th of January, you know, and George is sort of, you know, I really want to stay here, you know, I don't want to be going abroad or anything. And and he, I think he even says, who's going to finance the ship, you know? Well, that he's the, always thinking of the bottom but line. But you know what, what isn't in there, a bit disappointing, is where he's really derogatory about, you know, the people who are going to be on the boat. We've heard the audio where, you know, the, you know he just doesn't want to be with fans at all. But that's not here. They, he excluded it, that. There's a quick reference to it. He he does he does mention being on with these bloody people, right. I, you know what I mean. But but, right, he, yeah. but he didn't he didn't go off and no. start describing how. Yeah, exactly. But what's great is the visual. It just wasn't what I imagined in my head. They're all gathered in a circle with like you know members of the crew and stuff around the piano. Yeah, and it's just quite a moment just to see them all facing each other like that in a circle. Another thing for me is by, you know, the ninth. Of January, so the day before George quits, just phenomenal at this point. You know, 
Paul can see that John's not coming up with the goods. And he, you know, he's spoken to him about it and he's still not coming up with the goods. And now he just starts pulling the songs, you know, out of thin air, it seems. You have him introducing Let It Be, Another Day, Long and Winding Road, Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight, which, as you said, he suggests for Ringo, and he's performing it with verses, and then Get Back, No Pakistanis, which, again, as you said, nicely contextualised with sort of explanatory footage. She came in through the bathroom window as well. You know, all on that day, we hear these new songs. There's another one that's credited to the four, where um, you're listening to this beautiful piano piece, and you're like, is this some sort of, like, you know, you know, light classical or something, and it turns out to be the castle of the King of the Birds, which, once again, we've heard this before on Bootleg. Yeah. But seeing him play it, I'm like, why didn't he finish this? This has got some, this would have been something, you know. So he is pulling stuff, uh, you know, because he has to. There is that moment, though. Do you remember the moment where he says, John, he's complaining to John, this is right before the George bit, Kind of saying, you know, you got to step up your game. And John very subtly says, "Well, you know me, I'm best when my back's up against the wall." Right. And 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 that's kind of, I think, where he starts locking in. It's just him now. The rest of the universe doesn't, yeah, matter. And I'm going to be here working with Paul. And that's where I think where George is now. I, I'm I've just had enough. I right. I don't need this anymore. Yeah. It's it's interesting because you and I both know about a meeting that's going to take place in September of '69. Yes. Where Paul is in a very different state. He's almost like a whipped dog, and he's kind of going through, well, George's songs until this new album weren't all that good. And George was like, you don't know when I wrote those, number one, and you don't... Um, and they were enjoyed, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's just this thing that George, you can see George is it's like, why am I doing this? I've got a bunch of songs. They don't seem to be all that interested in mine, and at some, certain points, he's not interested in them doing his songs, which I think is very telling. Like, right. I don't want a shitty version of this, uh, you yeah. know, live. Yeah. And he's his mind is somewhere else. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree. Um, I actually <laughs> talking of George. Who did he write for you, Blue, for? Because this is right in that period where he's moved Charlotte Martin, one of Eric's ex-girlfriends, French girlfriend. He's moved her into. Kinforns and Patty's moved out because you're sweet and lovely girl. You know, yeah. which girl? Could be both. <laughs> <laughs> Why settle for one? Or a third one. Yeah, who who knows? That's right. You yeah. know, when you're that kind of, when you're, uh, what is it Olivia said? You know, George liked women and women liked George. <laughs> so I think that, you know, that happens. Oh, speaking of the, 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 speaking of the locations, and it keeps coming up this place that's near Tunisia, uh, yes, you near Timbo. I think it was near. Yeah, I mean they kept. It was that that kind of. I had heard it as a Roman amphitheater, but it's yeah Roman times, but yeah. built in Tunisia or on the Tunisian border there. I can't remember the name of it. Begin with an S, and they keep. Obviously, Michael Lindsay Hogg is really lobbying hard for this. I really found it very funny when Paul earlier in the film is saying, "Well, you know what would be kind of interesting is if we we just show up someplace we're not supposed to be, and then we." We play as long as we can, and then we're still busking as they haul us away, which eerily kind of, that's what happens, you know, mm. foreshadowment. Yeah. But but uh, as they're talking about the idea of playing and getting beaten up, um, two locations that will always be referenced come up, uh, you know, in the in the idea of bad Beatle gigs. Right. One is Manila and one is Memphis. Yes. And, oh, and, yeah. They group together. And it's interesting, too, that what you didn't see in the thing that I supplied from Larry Kane's interview, they, they had that little bit about the creation of Apple, but there was a section in there which they which would have slotted in perfectly. They asked John Lennon what was his greatest achievement in America. They, Larry asks. Mm. And John, without missing a beat, says, escaping Memphis. Right. Yeah. And then he goes, no, no, it was really, you know— Kennedy Airport. He, he kind of changed himself around. But Did you notice somewhere in there, when they're discussing again where to play, the cavern gets mentioned? I thought that was a... George said it, yeah. and and that would have been get back. I mean, that would have been brilliant. Yeah, but, th- but that surely wasn't meant seriously. I don't know. I think that it was... I think he had a... Number one, it would be cheap. Yeah. Uh, right? So that would be interesting. It would be... 
you know, that parody thing where John was parodying the get back, you know, to recreate Please Please Me, because they yeah. all kind of feel like things are coming full circle, I guess yeah. you could say. I thought that was actually a really, a kind of a neat idea. But then again, just because it's divine providence, you realize how iconic the clothes and the the, the staging of the rooftop concert is. Yeah. Because you're seeing them wear these, you know, the jacket, mm. you know, the fur yes. jacket, and are like, oh, yeah. oh it's, it's the rooftop jacket. You know, because you only really saw that yeah. in the Let It Be film at the end. We saw Glyn John's nice fluffy jacket as well in this. Yes, we, well, I, well, you know, it must have been groovy. I, I just say, boy, do I miss. I, I wish I'd just been a little older to have experienced all of that, you know. That, yeah. The fashions were fabulous. To be on TV is communication. We got a chance to smile at people. I thought all you need is love, wasn't it? Yeah. So that's my incentive for doing it. If this comes off, we've got a great entertainment package. We've got an album, a documentary never seen before in a performance. It's a great package. The worst that we have is a documentary of us making an LP. If we don't get into a show. We eat together, you see. That's a fucking thing. But when we do come together to play together, we all just sort of talk about the fucking past. We're like old age pensioners. Remember the days when we used to rock? You know, but we're here now and we can do it, you know. But I mean, I want to see the See, the thing is also, I get I get to a bit where I just sort of push, push all my ideas. You know, I mean, a lot will come out of it if we could get the enthusiasm. Love seeing the footage of Paul consulting Mal about the lyrics of Long and Winding Road. You know, just... Another yeah. subtle reference. What yeah. did we hear from Mal at the end of his life? Mm. You know, he said, yeah. you know, he'd helped out and Paul said, well, you know, with Lennon McCartney's a brand name and we can't really... We'll take care of you, Mal. We will. Uh -huh. We really will. And uh -huh. Yeah, and didn't you love the footage of Linda taking the on-set photos interspersed with the photos? Brilliant. Absolutely. Also, I thought it was very telling, and obviously there's, not a, there's no arbitrary shot in this film. Um, I thought it was very interesting and telling to see the Beatles are playing in the background and Linda and Yoko are yabbering away. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah, that that was really nice, actually. That was right around the section where we see the evolution of Let It Be, which I thought was really sweet as well, because, you know, he starts with this song and then John and George start doing backing vocals and you get that Beatles sound, you know, you just hear it. It's That's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and I love seeing, as you said, Linda and Yoko just really into it in a conversation. It doesn't look like just being polite. It looks like... You know, they're getting along yeah. well. they got things to say to each other. It's a shame to know where that ended up going. Well, they're, they're both going to be newlyweds in a couple of months, right? So, you know, within days of each other, which is interesting. And yeah. I think that their Yoko comes off way better, too. She comes off, you know, she's yeah. not, she's just there supporting him. She's not getting in the way. No. She's just there, you know, every once in a while, you know, doing little lovers yeah. stuff, which is, I thought, very sweet. She actually comes yes. off as very sweet. The only time... We get to what people were probably expecting yeah. was right near the end there when when she lets go of a couple of good whales, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I think he played that down. I, I think he just didn't want to be mean to her. It, yeah, it, yeah, you know? she comes it, off. Yeah. I think people would say she comes off as an, a highly supportive girlfriend, but not in the way. And she... I th so I think that was a bit of political correctness, you know, within the Beatles circle there to not have Yoko wants a mic because then that makes it, you know, that feeds into the usual narrative, right? <laughs> Yeah, and I think, because all of these moments happened, mm. you know, and yeah, you can take away certain things, but as you know, you mentioned earlier, the, the famous, uh, I'll play anything you want, whatever it is to please you, Paul, I'll do it, Yeah, that's now just seen as the buildup. We kind of got that as indicative of the entire tension yeah. in Let It Be, because you only had 80 minutes as opposed to, yeah. you know, this is... <laughs> Did you catch the bit where John, towards the end, I mean, you know, talk about not the best attitude he just sort of says well i've done all of mine both of mine yeah yeah <laughs> so you know what do you think out of 10 what would you give this you really asking me yeah i'm asking you for beatles fans or for the public both for the beatles fans it's a it's a 11 uh out of 10 it's 11 out of 10 for beatles people uh for the public I'm going to call this an eight. I would say that for Beatle people, as you said, I agree, 11 out of 10. Um, as as a documentary, I'm 
just for the public, but just if I was just looking at it not as a Beatles fan, but just purely as a film critic or, you know, TV critic, whatever, um, I would most likely then give it nine because of some flaws, as you know, some little gaps in the narrative, those bits of repeated footage. I'm picking here, you know, I really am. Well, I you just asked want people to, to realise, you know, you know, we're reviewing this. And we're, you know, and in terms of when we're commenting on, you know, people, how they look in the film, you know, and seething or whatever, you know, feeling the simmering tension, it's still based on an edit. It's still that director's edit. It is. I'm just thinking as um, for the general public, this is going to be very, I'm going to be fascinated to see how this is received because I think it's long. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they put out the hundred minute version. You know, put that in in the cinemas or whatever. Well, I think I think the cinema thing might be over with. I think that was done as a publicity, you know, yeah. to, to for this. This yeah. is really where it's at, and and I understand the subscription rate went absolutely bonkers. So everyone's yeah. going to see it. I just don't want. I'm just hoping that this doesn't end up being the initial reception to. Uh, uh, to, to Magical Mystery Tour. Like, everybody loves it now. Mm. But I'm wondering if... I'm, I'm, I'm thinking not as me, because I'm getting all of the... I'm into all the in-jokes. I remember seeing the Ruddles back in 78 and thinking this is, this is one of the most sophisticated and great in-jokes in history, and it yeah. fascinated me every minute, and it was the lowest-rated thing on television when it was shown. Right. So my, my problem is, is we know so many of these references... I don't know if the general public is going to get the same buzz. Well, no, they can't. They can't. I don't. I don't think we could expect that. You know, the gold here is really for us. Yeah. And you know, and they said what the bonus is that Peter Jackson is one of us. Clearly, you know, very clearly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, yeah, it's two different beasts in that way, right? It's what it is for the fans and what it is for the general public, but. He does do a great job of putting, you know, with the graphics and, you know, on the screen and the titling and stuff that, you know, you know what's going on. You know what's going on. And he, uh, I'm sure he had to think long and hard about subtitling as much as he did, mm-hmm. but it, it was the right decision. Yes, it and, was. And so I think that that, you know, no, it's, listen, I think it's it's absolutely incredible. I mean, it's I'm only I only have to say this because I have to think. Well, what if I put you know one of my elderly aunts in front of the TV and said, you know, would she be able to follow this or or care to? And so my only um, I'm I'm thrilled that this is what got out. This is absolutely the best thing since anthology. Yeah, anyone who has a problem with it, it's the bloody Beatles. Shut up. Exactly. You know, and it's but I mean, it is like anthology created a whole yeah. new fan base and that's what i'm hoping will happen with this is that mm. that the kids some kids will see this and you are watching the birth of it's like it's like if you could go and see picasso in process painting or deciding what he's going to paint do all his rough sketches i mean that's what you're seeing yeah. some of the greatest artists uh, ever certainly amongst the greatest artists artists of the 20th century creating masterpieces in front of you and it looks great <laughs> and i agree and i i don't as i said yeah you know maybe a little bit of whitewashing but i i don't think it has been i think this is the balanced telling of that story and this is the most down part of the film remember right let it be it's kind of dreadful the atmosphere here for me it's very watchable it was eminently oh, oh watchable. It, it is it's yeah. just long it's I, I, long for people yeah. who aren't into and by it. the way even i don't know what happened to paul but from looking kind of greasy and a bit disheveled in Let It Be, I thought he looked really good in, in, in this. His hair looks washed and it doesn't look greasy. It's That is just a technical thing that had to do, I really think, with when you go... What, you think Paul said to Peter Jackson, I want you to powder me off for the shine in this? No, thing. no, no, no. I don't think it's that. I, I think what happened is, is when you had something shot on 16 millimeter and then optically blown up to 35... Mm. Um, and it looked like a work print. I mean, if you look at that Ed Sullivan show where, you know, it was, the, it was called the Beatles Songbook, and they had all these people doing covers of Beatles songs, but the, the, the thing to pull you in was you got two of us and let it be. Yeah. But they looked like the most beat-up work prints ever, mm. and that's always been my impression of a, it's a film that was sort of murky, 
you know, yeah. it was project, you know, you're in some art house seeing it. And I mean, now we have the technology, you know, obviously your, your television screen is a thousand times better than what move, projected movies looked like mm. much brighter. And, you know, so all of that stuff contributed. Yeah. Plus the down, plus everybody seemed to, once they got past it, just like kind of write it off as miserable because it because of the pervasive yeah. atmosphere yeah. around yeah. them, not yeah. so much the movie. The editing in this is also superb. A, a lot of quick cutting. Um, you know, sometimes I found it maybe a bit overdone, but generally I thought, yeah, gave it real pace. And some some nice bits as well. I, I really like the bit of rock and roll music that they start doing, and it's intercut with Tokyo 66. And thankfully, he chose the White Suits yes, show. Yes. And, and he also, I mean, for those of us who are real nerdy, will we'll recognize how, how beautifully he improved the Tokyo picture. Yes, he did. You know, because yeah. that, that tape has ripples in it. It's like if you ever see a really, really, really high-res copy of it, you'll see these kind of bands, like mm. four bands, which is, is kind of like a little defect over time. I mean, it's, you know, almost a 60-year-old two-inch quad that that comes from. But uh, yeah, that boy, I'd love to see him clean that whole thing up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this. Um, but I will say something else though. Um, they should have used me longer. Uh, that opening montage, you know, yeah. there's a lot of footage I I have. I could have said, oh, don't use that copy. It's really? way better in this archive. It's way better over at CBS. Has that in color? What are you really? using the black and white? Oh yeah. A do you lot. know? Do you know who did the research for that? I haven't the faintest. Yeah. No, but uh, it's somebody who just. Went with the bog standard, as they used to say back when I was living in London. So they went to the the usual sources. I'm, uh, that would have been something I would have said, oh, man, in this archive, they got that much better, closer to, any, you any know. Any particular ones? Yeah, the stuff from Memphis. Oh, really? You know, the ITV footage. Um, and ITV had a had a a relationship, uh, especially there was a, there's a TV show that's always borrowed from. It's called Reporting 66. Yeah. And every, I mean, it's because it was one of the greatest things made mm -hmm. ever of the Beatles. It's really a tremendous thing. But there was a partnership going on with CBS and ITV. And, you know, there's that, a section that doesn't get used very heavily these days. Like, you always see the guy I call Murray the KKK, you know, who's standing in front of, <laughs> and by the way, folks, he's standing in front of DC's stadium. Don't dump that one on yeah, Memphis. I know. But everyone dumps it on Memphis because yeah. it's convenient. Nobody wants to admit the KKK were in Washington. So that stuff, you know, it isn't that. The same night the Beatles played Memphis, there was a a rally going on, a musical-based rally across Memphis. And that stuff was all shot in color, including some of the Memphis concert, right. in color by CBS. And CBS had lost it for a while, but it had been rediscovered. So if you see the thing with... That iconic sign, Jesus died for you, John Lennon, that's in beautiful color. And they wow. should have used that and, you know, some of the other surrounding footage as well. But, you know, yeah. call me next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, those of us who didn't know that, you know, that wouldn't jump out to us. You know no, no, I'm just saying that yeah. that was a beautifully done, yeah. like, to catch you up for the, once again, that was perfect for the non-Beatle fan. Yeah. Like, oh, that's their whole bang, bang, bang. Here's the history. Beautiful. Like, yeah. so quick. They didn't hang on anything too yeah. long. And and brings you right up to the current day. Loved it. Yeah. You know, but it's just, I just thought they could have. See, I'm a, those are, that's what I do. Little right, details. Right, yeah. Yeah. As I said, my, I think my main criticism for me are the couple of gaps in the narrative, you know, in terms of the tensions where they just refer to them. And we, we really haven't seen it that much. I think it needs, especially if you say, you know, for the general audience, I don't think you're going to have picked up on anything there. But well, otherwise, yeah, it's a complete grand slam. Just an amazing uh, piece of forensic work, in a sense, too. I mean, it, it looks so fresh and new. But then, you know, if you saw that uh, little special that was done on him at 60 Minutes last week or something, and there was a couple of moments where you see him in his editing suite, which looks like a, a mini movie studio, yeah. and he's kind of lounging on his couch. And they got, they got the, on the widescreen, they got the two four-by-three full-frame images running. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm watching that thinking, you know, he had to watch 60 hours of that, um, which, of course, yeah, you and I would, you know... <laughs> Our own miserable mum would you know, give her left hand to be sacrificed. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, but he had to do that and then reconstruct 
this thing being very respectful to his, you know, one of the stars of the film, the original filmmaker. Yeah. And I mean, that is just how to tiptoe through a minefield, how to put a story together. I mean, he That's, was very respectful, I think, of my. He's completely. Yeah. You can tell, and yeah. he's. I. I, I think Which I you would think they'd stick together, right? Directors. Yeah, but you know, the other thing is, is I keep forgetting that Peter Jackson is my age. Like exactly, I think he's about a year younger than me, and so you know, Michael Lindsay Hogg, there he is, the groovy guy, twenty-eight years old, or whatever. But he's in his eighties now, or yeah. you know, just about. And yeah, I would feel the same way, you know, about a graphic designer or something. Say, well, I'm not gonna. Geez, that's Milton Glaser, for God's sake, you know, and I'm just curating something here. I'm not going to. So I, I really get his respect. And and but I mean, maybe that World War One film taught him how to dance through a minefield because he really does it. I mean, it's just yeah. I'm so surprised at how good this is. As I say, I'm speaking as somebody who's fascinated. Yeah. This is part of a big part of my life. And for me to see this, thank God I lived this long. Um one of the things I love, love, love about the Beatles is somehow, some way, a rabbit gets pulled out of the hat every yeah. few years. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's going to stop. I, I, I know of a couple of other things that could be done. Right, although I don't think there'll be anything as momentous as this. You know, this kind, you know the volume of new, well, unseen material that we're, we're getting here in one go. Okay, there's, there's one other. But no, nah, there's one. There's one more. You know, I feel like we're in Star Wars. Wait, there is another. <laughs> Luke, um, there is one more. You know, I'm watching this thing, and I'm thinking the perfect guy to to take the 40 hours of footage shot the first two weeks the Beatles visited America. This is the guy. Oh, right. This is the guy. The Maisels brothers. The Maisels brothers. And I know, why do I say 40? Because that's what the horse's mouth told me. Uh, we were doing, as a matter of fact, Mark Lewison was there. Uh, Mark was doing an event with my friend uh, John McEwen, and I was sort of the tech support at the Paley Center in 2013. And Albert was was there um, as well, and the photographer, Grossman. Yeah. So they were all up on the stage doing this thing. And after it, I was talking to Albert Maisels, and I said, you know, I really loved every incarnation of of the Beatles' first U.S. visit. You know, I loved what's happened in the USA, the English cut, your cut, blah, 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 because, you know— I said, what did, you, what did you guys shoot, about six, seven hours of film to whittle it down to two? He said, we shot 40 hours, four zero. And, and it's just, I've never, go, I was so stunned, shocked and stunned. Yeah. Uh, but he's the man. And so I asked, where did it go? Well, the Maisel, Albert says, yeah, I sold it to Apple. It's all over there. It's all there. Wow. So, so yeah, it's. So they got that up their sleeve. Uh, I hope so, but jeez, uh, I hope they get him to do it. Right. I mean, right. man, what a, I've just seen this one installment. I'm sold. Like, I, I, yeah. I just love to see him make four more Beatle movies. I think he's yeah. the guy that could do it. I agree. I'd be interested if we get even more footage, you know, when they put it out on DVD, Blu-ray. I've heard we are. Wow. You know, I mean, that's that's. We'll end up with all 56 hours. I want more. <laughs> well, we're going to get more. Three in the morning, right? Well, yeah, that's right, because this is, by the way, we're, you know, we haven't done a show in the same room in a long time. Yeah, I know. So it's, here we are. And the same old room, the same old microphones, the yeah. same old face. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, onwards we go to So you want two. you want to do this again tomorrow? Let's try it. Just got shot. Just got a belt, man.
I'd really, I got a, an electric shock. You're gonna be in trouble over this. If this boy dies, you're gonna cop it. The Beatles, Naked. Post production by Richard Buskin. Theme music by Craig Bartow. Thank you. 